0: The World of Dark Ages podcast presents side quests, tidbits, and inspiration for the Dark Ages. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to the World of Dark Ages podcast. My name is Jacob. And I'm Peter. So we are back with side quests. Basically, we are going to be doing this because if you've listened to our earlier announcement, Peter is going away for a while. First, he's going back in time to Visby on Gotland and then out sailing, which is going to be interesting. I'm really looking forward to hearing about that, by the way.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be I'm, amazing. I'm, I'm almost lost for words because I've been really looking forward to this. Uh, podcast Doggo will be joining me on Gotland, unfortunately she can't join me sailing.
0: Well, yeah, a dog uh, on a ship, that might be a bit too much. But before we get started on this side quest, I just want to give a shout out to our latest Patreon. Welcome to Jason Vines. Thank you so much for supporting us. Thank you, Jason. Welcome. Yes. So this side quest is going to be about the Hanseatic League. Now, the Hanseatic League gets mentions quite a lot in stuff about the Middle Ages, and it also gets a few mentions in... Dark Ages. The interesting thing is, until you had the Vampire the 20th Anniversary edition, you didn't actually get into the time period of the Hanseatic League. While it is a very iconic thing for the Middle Ages, it didn't really get its start until much later than I think a lot of people think. But it is a very fascinating entity. It really is the iconic sort of merchant league or merchant association. And I think it could lay the foundation for a very, very interesting chronicle set in the Dark Ages setting, going up to a much later date. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of like
1: the in in a way, it's it's almost a precursor to to things like the the East India Companies that you got in the in the eighteenth century, or 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 in a way, I don't know if you're going to touch upon this, but in a way, it's it's almost like the EU, but a couple of centuries earlier.
0: Yeah, it's a an alliance that does cross what was at that point's national boundaries of course the idea of the nation-state didn't quite exist but the hanseatic league became almost a nation-state in and of itself which is yeah. what we're going to see when we start talking about it so when did it all start well in the year 1241 The cities of Hamburg and Lübeck, located in what is today northern Germany, entered into a formal alliance designed to combat robbers and pirates. The two cities had already made an informal agreement in 1210 that common law should exist between the cities in certain matters and were also in the process of aligning city laws and coinage with Hamburg having adopted the so-called Lübeck laws in 1189 and coinage finally being unified in 1255, now, this is actually kind of interesting because you have two cities that are very close to each other, and yet their laws and coinage is actually different. They have yeah. to make an uh, an agreement to align it, which is, I think, something that shows quite an interesting thing about the Middle Ages, that things were not in any way as aligned as they are today.
1: Yeah, and, and especially since both of these cities were also part of the Holy Roman Empire, which, like, just this example shows how how divided it was
0: when you come down to to a more local level. So, yeah, that's, that's a very interesting point. Yeah. So while this type of alliance was not uncommon among cities in the Holy Roman Empire, this particular agreement would grow into an economic powerhouse that would basically dominate northern Europe for centuries to come. At the time of the alliance, both Hamburg and Lübeck were free imperial cities, Freies, Imperiales uh, Städter, or something like that in German. Uh, Hamburg had been granted its charter in 1189 and Lübeck in 1226, As free imperial cities, Hamburg and Lübeck had had a certain level of self rule with city councils that answered not to some local noble or church official, but directly to the emperor and the imperial diet. This allowed the cities to grow quite wealthy and powerful. An example of this power is the 1248 attack on Copenhagen by Lübeck, which saw much of the relatively new Danish capital burned down. The attack was in response to the tolls in the Øresund, or the sound it's called in English, and that's something that will become a common theme in the relationship between Denmark and the German merchant cities. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on the German side on this one, sorry mate. Well, given what we're going to be talking about a little later, I can definitely understand why you're on the German side. So the alliance between the two cities, it made a lot of sense. Hamburg, located on the Elbe River, was in a perfect position for trade in the North Sea and the English Channel areas of the Atlantic Ocean. While Lübeck, located on the river Trave, was in a good position when it came to the Baltic trade. In addition, Hamburg controlled the extremely important salt route from Lünenburg, while Lübeck was positioned near the huge herring markets in Falsterbo and Skaneur in modern-day Skåne in southern Sweden. And it's difficult to overstate just how important and profitable herring markets were, because all of these salted herrings were worth a lot of money.
1: Yeah, yeah, and like food that can actually last for a while. You you need it for so many reasons. So it, because you didn't have refrigeration. So if you're going traveling, if you're going out to sea, uh, like during the winter time when when there isn't any food, you you need stuff that lasts. So yeah, salted herring and and salted meats in general was really important for a lot of reasons.
0: Yeah, and and the herring being. Not considered. Meat was also very important for the Catholic feast. Uh, sorry, fast days, not feast yeah. days. Fasting days. So in 1264, Lübeck entered into similar mutual protection alliances with three other Baltic trading cities: Rostock, Wismar, and Stralsund. And the foundation of the Hanseatic League had been born. So already we are more than twenty years removed from the start date of the latest edition of Dark Ages. But still, I mean, it's it's not like you can't just. Extend it a little bit if you want to, and like I said, this is a really good basis for a longer running chronicle.
1: Yeah, and and you can always like you can call it the Hanseatic League, even if it's just the the two cities of, of Hamburg and Lübeck.
0: Like it's it's the start of it. Why why not just call it it? Exactly, and the the word Hanse most likely comes from Old High German via Gothic and originally meant band, troop, or company. And in the high Middle Ages, the meaning changed to a society or guild of merchants and traders. Now, North German merchants had a long history of banding together into a Hanse. At least since the 11th century, German merchants had been meeting in the city of Visby on the Baltic island of Gotland, where you're going, to yeah. uh, to travel to the great Russian market of Novgorod. So in mm. Visby, the merchants would organize themselves in Hanse's and elect a leader and spokesperson Who would represent the association when dealing with the nobles and merchants of Novgorod. In addition, the various merchants would cooperate and offer a mutual protection against the predominantly Slavic pirates of the Baltic Sea. The first written occurrence of the word Hanse dates back to either 1266 or 1267, when the King of England granted trading rights to the German Hanse. Now, interestingly, these expeditions to Novgorod that really gathered in Visby, they were actually, they, they gathered in late fall and then set off to Novgorod in the winter, which probably comes a surprise to many people thinking that winter travel was problematic, but not when you're traveling in this Baltic northern Russian area. Yeah. Then winter travel is very good. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's uh, usually the, the seas didn't freeze
1: over completely, so you could still sail uh, the frozen lakes and rivers are great because you can ski or skate over them. Uh, people have been skating since literally the Stone Age. Uh, they, we've found, or we there, there have been skates made from from animal bones that has been dated back to to the Stone Age, uh, and like it, you also have a. Flat surface because the roads back then uh, wasn't really that good. But if you have like a frozen river, it's gonna be fairly flat, and in it's it's gonna be uh, a very good place. Like if you have sleds, for example, you can you can drag them across the rivers. Uh, so so yeah, it's a lot of traveling was was actually done during during
0: winter time. Yeah, exactly. So by the time that Hamburg and Lübeck entered into their alliance, things were beginning to change, because the wealth provided by the Baltic and North Sea trade allowed the heads of merchant houses to remain at home and not risk their life traveling to places like Novgorod, London, Flanders, or Bergen in Norway. Instead, factors would set up more or less permanent kontore, or offices, in these cities and conduct trade on behalf of their principal. Interesting, while the word kontor, is no longer used in German for office. It's still used in the Scandinavian languages as well yeah. as in Estonian and Dutch. That's what, where our word for an office, kontor, comes from. Ah, cool, yeah. I, I did not know that, actually. I hadn't thought about that. That's really cool. Yeah, I love these little sort of etymological things that you figure out from, from yeah. time to time. So, oh, that's where that comes from. Yeah. So, over the next decades, several cities and towns joined the nascent Hanseatic, whoop, Hanseatic League, including Warendorf, Braunschweig, Salzwedel, Wilson, basically mid-sized cities in germany and then in 1275 the large and powerful city of magdeburg joined now this was really like where the hanseatic league went on the map because magdeburg was one of the big power players in Mm. the the holy roman empire and in the vampire side of things this is where the ventrue power is is concentrated in this area bremen was originally ex concluded from joining in 1275 because the city refused to join in a trade blockade of Norway and Bremen will come up again and again and again. It has a rather fun history with the Hanseatic League.
1: Oh, so But did they, did they stay out of the league for like forever or did
0: they eventually join at some point? They eventually joined, and then they were excluded, and then they were let back in, and it's it, it's a whole thing. It's it's okay, quite yeah. fun to uh, to follow along with. Apparently, they were sort of the uh, the trouble child of the family. Yeah. Okay. So they're they're
1: like the the Emperor Barbo- Barbarossa of of the Hanseatic League, always getting excommunicated for doing things that people didn't like.
0: (laughs) Yeah Uh, so in addition to the English trade privileges the Hanseatic League had already received privileges from the Swedish king in 1261 and would eventually resolve their dispute with Norway and have their trading rights restored in 1285. Eventually the Hanseatic League would be granted a monopoly on the lucrative trade in stockfish. Now stockfish is unsalted fish especially caught that's dried by cold air and wind on wooden racks and this fish could keep for several years and Bowne in Norway is just perfect for making stockfish. You can put them up on the big bluffs overlooking the sea, and then they would be dried out. And once again, like you mentioned, you needed stuff that could last, and this stockfish lasted, and it didn't need salt, which was, at this time, rather expensive.
1: Yeah, and and can I just mention Norway uh, or Bergen, rather in in Norway? Yeah. It's it's a beautiful city, and and as you mentioned, like or rather the reason why it's so good because it's it's in deep in a fjord, and the entire city is is built basically. It's it's similar to to Oslo in that way that it's it's mostly built on the sides of a fjord. So there's there's not that much flat ground. You're almost always going uphill or downhill, which of course means that the wind. Uh, will always kind of be funneled down into the fjord. So yeah, I can really see that it's a good place
0: for for making this kind of of dried fish. So towards the end of the 13th century, the Hanseatic League saw itself include several non-German cities, such as Riga in modern-day Latvia, Reval in modern-day Estonia and the aforementioned Wiesbu on Gotland that became a Hanseatic city and that becomes very very important. So the beginning of the 14th century sees the Hanseatic League welcome new members and receiving trading rights in several cities in the low countries. Lübeck law has now been adopted by all German members of the league and some of the non-German member cities which is obviously a really good thing because having the same law in all the cities just makes everything so much easier and once again this illustrates something. You could travel from one city to another, and the laws would be completely different.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I'm just thinking uh, on the opposite. There, like how how in a way it's kind of a modern concept to to have uh, because what what you get is basically an international treaty, uh, even though it's it's not between nations. It's between semi-independent cities. Uh, but but yeah, it's 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 really interesting to see how how they managed to get that to work, uh, because as, as you said, that the laws can be quite different. And, and I imagine there would be some that, that uh, the people of those cities might not uh, always like the fact that now they're going to have to change the laws to, to the Lübeck laws. Was that a thing
0: that, that the people would object
1: to, yes. to the city
0: joining the league? Yes, there are uh, at the very least some records indicating that the citizens of Stralsund were not entirely happy about this. But basically, the power, the wealth, the influence that came with aligning yourself with Lübeck and the Hanseatic League, it was just so much that the leaders of these cities overruled their populace and and introduced it. And there was... the the, There's a
1: Brexit joke in there somewhere.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, it would be... Uh, it, I think, because the mm-hmm. problem was that these laws heavily favoured Germans, and a lot of these cities had a significant Slavic yeah. population oh, that okay. were then relegated to being second-class citizens. So it it was it was really sort of an ethnic struggle as well between Germans and Slavs. So tensions between Norway and the League that they came to a head in 1342 when the king ordered German merchants out of bound, but A year later, the Germans were allowed to return and their privileges restored, just in time for one of the great crises of the European Middle Ages, the Black Death. uh, Uh, But actually, as destructive as the plague-sweeping Europe from about 1347 to 1351 was, it does not in the end do too much damage to the League. And in 1356, they hold the first Hansetag, which translates to Hanseatic Day. And this is a meeting of representatives from all Hanseatic cities. Originally, it was held in Lübeck, and the annual Hansetag would eventually move between cities and even be held more than once per year when needed. And at the height of Hanseatic powers, you also had representatives from the emperor and the church present at these meetings which is just huge. I mean, the idea yeah. of having big summits is nothing new in modern times. But back then, imagine just having to coordinate these very powerful, wealthy, important representatives from all over, not just the Holy Roman Empire, but countries outside having to meet in one city. It must have been quite the, uh, the affair yeah'm I'm, I'm thinking of
1: again to, to do like a, a modern of equivalent of like the G8 summits or the, the what's it called the World Forum and the Davos meetings. And yeah stuff like I think that.
0: the G8 is a very, very good example of what this would be actually.
1: Mm, yeah so, so yeah it's it's again it's we, we've been talking about this in in other episodes that that people back then weren't more primitive or less intelligent than than we are it's it's just that they had different tools with and, and as you can see this this whole idea of of organizing in 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 a multilateral and a trans-border organization to to, to promote your own interest is, is nothing new really. And, and I mentioned the East India companies and the more I hear about it, the more it, it makes, or it's, it seems more similar because you, you have this kind of semi-autonomous uh, organization that can basically do, that, that has their own laws in, in the places where it
0: governs So it's, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting organization. It it really is. So in 1358, the Hanse once again demonstrates its power when it embargoes Flanders due to trade disputes. Now, Flanders at this point is one of the big economic powerhouses because this is where all the English wool, or most of the English wool, is turned into cloth. And the Hanseatic League can basically embargo it. Bremen joins the embargo and is finally admitted to the League. (laughs) That's going to change. So in 1360, the Contour in Bruges bans commercial partnerships between Hanseatic and Flemings. And in addition, Hanseatic ships managed to close off the various Danish straits and sounds between the Baltic and the North Sea to prevent smugglers carrying grain to the Low Countries, which has had a particularly bad harvest. Now, you might, might think, hang on, cities in the Holy Roman Empire is blockading Danish waters. Doesn't this result in a war between Denmark and the Holy Roman Empire? And no, it doesn't, because the Hanseatic League is seen as being an autonomous entity within the Holy Roman Empire so it doesn't actually involve the emperor or the nation that is the Holy Roman Empire at all so so we've gone we've gone from from a trade union to basically blackwater is that what you're saying well they, they their power was at the level where they are yeah, an independent entity that is dedicated to the, uh, capitalism. They they are they mm. are extreme capitalists with their own armies. So uh, yeah, that's um, yeah that, that that can't be bad in any way,
1: can it? <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah,
0: Well, speaking of bad. Now my country gets on the uh, the side of the, the bad guys because in the year 1361, the Danish king Valdemar IV, Atterday, attacked the island of Gotland, massacred the rural population outside the ramparts of Wiesbu, and extorted a high ransom from the city. And this act of violence provoked resistance from the Hanse and the first war, first, <laughs> between the Hanseatic mm. League and yeah. Denmark broke yeah. out. Uh, the defining battle of this uh, war was the battle of helsingborg where the mayor of lubeck Johann wittenborg led a united hanseatic swedish and holstein fleet against the danish the Hansa lost 12 ships and many prominent members of the league were captured and upon his return to lubeck mayor wittenborg was executed for his poor performance Damn, so uh yeah. don't fail uh the yeah. war ended in 1365 and the league finally managed to secure trading privileges in denmark but yeah this was this was one of our blacker chapters yeah it was it has to be mentioned
1: that that it was an actual army being a peasant army but still still an uh, soldiers being massacred outside of of the city of Visby. so it, uh, there, there was some rampaging in the in the countryside and and unfortunately in these kinds of events, the civilian populations always suffer, but it it wasn't just a general uh, attack on on the civilians but but yeah it was it was quite horrible. Uh, there, there were. Uh, if if you ever go to Wiesbud they they have the museum there that has an exhibition on, on everything, uh, and you have skulls with holes in them and and stuff like that. So so yeah, it's it's quite telling, um,
0: just how brutal medieval warfare is. And the problem also was that after the army had been routed and surrendered, there were. A lot of executions. Like it was very much a show of this is what happens yeah. if you if you ever try to resist yeah. us again. It's what we today would call a war crime, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. And but but yeah, go on. It's we're, we're getting into a lot of interesting
0: <laughs> things. So what, what yeah. do they do next? Well, the peace was short-lived because in 1367, King Valdemar ended into an alliance with the Count of Mecklenburg to conquer lands in southern Sweden. The only Hans ever ever. To be held in the city of Cologne. The Confederation of Cologne is formed to combat Danish ambitions. Due to the excesses of the Baron Contour, Norway actually sides with Denmark and the League pulls out all merchants from Norwegian cities. So we have Denmark-Norway versus the uh, Confederation of Cologne. So the war between Denmark and the Hanseatic League lasts until 1370. In 1368, a Dutch fleet attacks the Norwegian coastline uh, and Lübeck yet again sacks Copenhagen. So they've done it a couple of times. In 1369, Norway sues for peace after a Hanseatic fleet Burns down Bergen. German-Dutch forces capture Scania, which at this point, remember, is not a part of Sweden. Scania is very much a part of Denmark. Yep. And the Hanse sinks a Danish fleet. They capture Copenhagen and the fortresses in the Sound, and then Denmark sues for peace, and the peace is ratified at the Hanse Tag in the city of Stralsund in 1370. So we definitely got our asses whooped, and the treaty imposes humiliating terms on the king of Denmark. In 13. 13- Seventy-two, a peace treaty is finally worked out between Norway and the Hanseatic League. Uh, a new treaty is signed in 1376, giving the Hanseatic League a great deal of power over Norway. In anticipation of this power, the League in 1375 used the power of the Treaty of Stralsund to interfere in the Danish succession. They proclaimed the five-year-old son... Olaf, son of King Haakon the sixth of Norway and Queen Margaret, daughter of King Valdemar the fourth of Denmark, as the new Danish king, and that turned out to be a bad move on the Hanseatic League's part. Actually, for those who know what uh, what happens next,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, it's 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 just I again. It's we we're talking about basically a a trading league that now has influence over not only international. Uh, like trading disputes and stuff like that, they 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 can decide who is going to be king in in a country. There weren't were there many Danish cities in the league.
0: Were there any at no, all? No, Denmark never had cities in the league. Uh, the only Scandinavian city that was ever formally a part of the Hanseatic League was Wiesbury. Bergen was ha- uh, very much involved with the Hanseatic League, but it was never a Hanseatic city. And Denmark granted some trading privileges from time to time to the league, but Denmark was almost always in an antagonistic relationship with the league because yeah. of Denmark's very tight control over the yeah, sound.
1: Yeah, that that makes sense in a way. But it, I'm, I'm just thinking that it's, it's not even like... They, they have a city in, in Denmark that can kind of go to the league and like, hey, we're having this kind of dispute about the succession. Can you, as an outside party, come and help us, but preferably do what we want because our <laughs> city is in your league? So it's, it's, it, it's not even that. It's just like, okay, fuck these fuckers. They, they mess up our trade. We're going to decide who's going to be the next king.
0: Yeah, uh, exactly. So how did that turn out then? <laughs> Well, a quick aside, because in 1374, the contour in London called really cool name, the Stahlhof or Steelyard, claims that the English are infringing on the privileges leading to tension between England and the Hanseatic League. Once again, a nation state and the League. Uh, So in 1375, English merchants address a petition to the English king to complain of unfair treatment by Hanseatic merchants. A Hanseatic delegation travels to London to attempt to obtain exemption for Hanseatic merchants from tonnage and poundage fees. And in 1385, English ships attack German ones, and in 1388, the Hanse breaks off trade with England, as well as Novgorod and Flanders, setting up embargoes. Wendish towns seizes English goods housed in the warehouses in Stralsund, and eventually this leads to an agreement with England that reaffirms all Hanseatic privileges there and gives English rights in the area of Prussia. So this is a sort of thing happening with England at the time that is also going to to come back later that there's a lot of politicking going on over quite a long amount of time which is one of the yeah. reasons why I think this could be a really great campaign for for vampires yeah and 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 also like
1: if if we're thinking about what what's also going on at this time in like in 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 Europe in general you you have uh, the Black Plague is still a, a problem. It it pops up every now and then. You <laughs> have the Hundred Years' War going on in uh, between uh, uh, France and and England. Down in, uh, in Italy, you start getting the, the condottieri fighting for the city yeah. states. Uh, the Reconquista is is uh, still ongoing. In uh, in in the uh, Iberian. Iberian Peninsula, uh, do we still have any Crusader states? We don't. We lost them already. Yeah,
0: 1291 was yeah. the end of the Crusader states. So yeah, but, the cru- but Crusades we, are mainly in the Baltics at this point. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly, and, and that's also kind of interesting because we again, l- like you said, we we don't really have nation states uh, in the way we think of them today. So you could get you have you do have like England that is kind of a nation state. But then you also have uh, the Hanseatic League, which is basically a a capitalist imperium or a empire, if if we want to simplify it a bit. And then we also have the Teutonic Knights, who also controls. Uh, they're they're also more or less their their own independent. Oh entity, yes, very much. But it's it's not a, a capitalist or a, a mercantile one. It's it's based on pure military and religious power. So you have three different kind of. Of ways of, of governing uh, and and yeah you could you could really do a lot of that just the, the clashes between them uh, and and the um, j- just the intrigue that would get like if if those three uh, kind of ways of ruling had to uh, make peace or had to to get along which as we can see they
0: didn't so there's there's a lot of room for really cool stories. There is. And when the Hanseatic League, League helped put the five-year-old Olaf on the Danish throne in 1375, his mother, Queen Margrete, took mm. over the regency of the country on behalf of her son. She also managed to have Olaf declared heir to the Swedish throne so when king hokon of norway died in 1380 queen margaret also became the queen regent of norway finally swedish nobles they were rebelling against the uh, unpopular king albert of mecklenburg so queen margaret supported the rebels who were willing to put her son on the throne and then Olaf died in 1387 and Queen Margrethe continued to support the Swedish rebels. So in 1388, Sweden capitulated and accepted Queen Margrethe as Sovereign Lady and Ruler, a title she would hold over Norway and Denmark as well. Yeah, it's that's a pretty fucking sweet title. Just <laughs> it, it really is. The only Swedish holdout was the German-dominated city of Stockholm. Queen Margrethe had captured Albert of Mecklenburg and in the face of a joint... Mecklenburgian, Wendish, and Hanseatic alliance. She agreed to return him for ransom. The money for the ransom was put up by the Hanseatic League with Stockholm as surety for the loan. So, yeah. when Albert failed to provide the ransom, the Le- the League surrendered Stockholm to Magde in return for trade privileges, which is just awesome politicking right there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's.
1: Yeah, follow the full of money.
0: Follow the exactly. Money. So, uh, interesting, while the Hanseatic League at large joined forces with the Dukes of Mecklenburg, the city of Lübeck supported Queen Margrete. However, the victories allowed her to unite Denmark, Norway, and Sweden into the Kalmar Union in 1397. And from then and until her death in 1412, she would be a constant thorn in the side for the Hanseatic League. And obviously, the Kalmar Union is really interesting. It's outside the scope of the Dark Ages setting, but for Scandinavians, the Kalmar Union is something that is constantly brought up whenever EU is discussed, and the the idea of a transnational unity and stuff like that. Yeah, and and the latest
1: talk about military alliances as well. But but yeah, it's like the Scandinavian countries have been really close to each other for for quite some time. And and remember that. Finland is a part of, of uh, Sweden back then, so you, you had both sides of the,
0: the Baltic Sea. Yeah, and Dothland... Iceland, is a part of, uh, Iceland is a part of Norway at this point, so that's also in Scandinavia.
1: Yeah, and, and you still have people on Greenland, or is it about this time when they kind of
0: up and oh, go and disappear? I can't remember when the Norse disappeared from Greenland, but I think you might be right that it is around this time. Yeah,
1: and so because I know that there, there are
0: quite some finds of uh, of preserved
1: uh, articles of clothing that a lot of reenactors make copies of from from I think it's from the mid or late fourteenth century, so it's it's about this time. Uh, yeah, which is kind of cool that seven hundred year old uh, cloth has been preserved. Um, that's that's what cold temperature does, I guess. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, so so you have. You have large parts that are united in uh, in a union, but at the same time you kind of have the uh, the island of Gotland, which is is kind of again semi autonomous. Uh, are, are you going to mention the pirates and the Teutonic Knights? Or oh yes,
0: I? we're we're getting to those. Yeah, we're definitely, because they are they are fun. But just to outline the League's problems with Denmark, it goes back to even before Hamburg and Lübeck allied themselves, because due to the Jutland Peninsula, Denmark controlled the shipping routes between the North Sea and the Baltic, and after the Denmark was united in 1157, the Danish king was able to impose whatever tolls he wanted on ships passing through the Sound between the island of Schelland and what is today the southern Swedish province of Skåne. Northern German and Wendish trading towns especially hated this, as a fair deal of their trade depended on travelling through. Danish waters. It was the sound tolls that led to the Lübeck attack on Copenhagen in 1248, and it was Danish dominance of the sea route between the North Sea and the Baltic that constantly made the Hanseatic League ally with Denmark's enemies. Now, however, the League faced not just Denmark, but a Scandinavia united under Mm -hmm. a single ruler. And for all that her enemies might decry her as just a woman and refer to her as King Pantsless, Queen Margrethe the 1st turned out to be a masterful politician where the league had once been powerful enough to threaten Denmark they were now forced to endure whatever sound tolls Margrethe decided like Queen Margrethe is just one of those historic women that I love because she was she was intelligent ruthless determined she was an amazing ruler yeah that, that's that's what you get when when
1: women are actually allowed during this time period to to fulfill their full potential so yeah. so, yeah, it's it's a really cool uh, example of, of one of these
0: fantastic women throughout history. So the Hanseatic and North German war with Denmark also brought with it a new problem for the League, the Vitalienbrüder, or mm. Victual Brothers. Originally, the Brotherhood started as privateers working for the Dukes of Mecklenburg and acting as blockade runners. The word victual is derived from the Latin word victualia, uh, meaning provisions, and refers to their first mission, which was to supply the besieged city of Stockholm. However, after 1392, the Victual brothers became pirates. Originally, they were given safe harbor in Wendish towns and attacked only non-Hanseatic ships, except for uh, those from Lübeck, because Lübeck was allied with uh, with Denmark. However, in 1393, they sacked Bauen, and the year after, they conquered Malmö, they even managed to occupy parts of Frisia and Schleswig and plundered numerous towns and even castles. So in, in 1392, the Hanseatic League even uh, decides on a three-year moratorium on trade with the province of Scania due to the dangers of piracy. So they weren't just, you know, taking out individual ships. They were a real menace.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. You, you get these... Uh, yeah criminals and, and we have we have the same today with with uh, the pirates outside the, the Horn of Africa has been a, a real problem for for shipping there uh, in in the 18th uh, 1800s I I should say you have a lot of problems with with piracy um originating out of northern Africa which which led to the U.S Marine Corps having yep. to go there and kick some ass uh, and uh, yeah yeah so it's it's really interesting. Uh, and I would like to connect this to what you said about traveling uh, during winter uh, because it again goes to just how important sea trade was and, and traveling by sea because it's it's so much faster and easier and 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 just getting somewhere it like if you have to walk from from Hamburg, To well you can't even well you can walk from Hamburg to to Bergen in Norway, but you're gonna have to walk all the way around through uh, Eastern Europe, up up through Russia and and then westwards through Finland and Sweden and then down. Or you can just take a boat. It's so much easier. You can you can go from you can actually go to the British Isles, you can, you can actually go all the way down into the Mediterranean, uh, supplying crusaders or what have, you, what have you that they were actually doing. So it's, it's really cool to see just how important uh, sea trade was in, in this time period.
0: Yeah, so in 1394, the Victual brothers occupied the island of Gotland, it's back, and set up their headquarters in Mm. Visby. They also operated from the Turku archipelago in modern-day Sweden, so between... No, Turku is in Finland. It, oh, sorry, yeah, sorry, <laughs> modern-day Finland. Back then wow. it was Sweden, though. Yeah, in what was then Sweden is now modern-day Finland. Mm, yes. <laughs> so between 1395 and 1398, maritime trade in the Baltic Sea virtually collapsed and the herring industry suffered due to the presence of the Brotherhood. Queen Margrethe even turned to King Richard II of England and sought to charter English ships to combat the pirates. After the formation of the Kalmar Union, the Hanseatic League found themselves forced to work with their one-time enemy to drive out the pirates. However, it wasn't until uh, Albert, who was still seen by some as the legitimate king of Sweden, conceded Gotland to the Teutonic order that the Victor brotherhood was destroyed. So in 1398, the Teutonics invaded Gotland and destroyed Visby, driving out the brotherhood. Yeah, Pretty yeah, hardcore.
1: Yeah, it's that. That's actually from uh, from from a technological point of view. It's it's actually quite interesting because they brought cannon to that yeah. siege, uh, which which is really cool. Because like I I love the clash of uh, of of modern and and old stuff. So so you have. We always have the image of of chivalrous knights charging with with lances and swords, but in in real life they were like, nah, fuck it, we we got a cannon. I can <laughs> I can be over here and kill him yeah. over there. I I don't need, I, I don't have to go all the way over there. I can just stand here. So yes, so yeah,
0: a lance charge isn't going to do much against a wall. A cannon,
1: yeah. on the other hand, exactly. Yeah. So um, but but they were actually quite light while while they were at uh, at Scotland because, as he said they they
0: threw out the pirates so trade could resume yeah and i mean as is evidence from all of this gotland and visby was all about the trade because yeah. of their position just take a look at a map of the baltic uh, sea and you realize just how important gotland was
1: yeah yeah exactly it's it's uh, it, it's almost in the middle but it's it, it also has a natural harbor and and you can it's it's close to pretty much everything. You can sail to to uh, uh, Stockholm quite easily. You can sail to Finland and to Novgorod, as you mentioned. So there's yeah. connections to the to the east as well. Um, and and yeah, and the the physicality of the of the city itself is quite interesting because it has this high. Uh, high um, cliffs, kind of like like you imagine the cliffs of Dover. That you that mm. you have these plateaus overlooking the city, so you can um, you can see ships coming from quite far away. So if you're getting attacked, you're going to be forewarned. Uh, and there's there's one. Um, it, it's actually quite cool next to the um, to the to the main cathedral in Visby... There is one of these heights it's just like a, a a straight mountain side just next to it but it's still part of the city uh so if you go up on that cliff uh we, we and they have stairs and everything so it's quite easy to do you're you're about the same height as the church towers which Whoa. is just which is just cool that you can see that that it's it's really near to to the height of it so uh, because usually when you look at, at tall buildings especially back in the medieval times you always look at them from from the ground up but here you can actually uh, look straight ahead at the towers and also look down at at the actual church so so <laughs> it's it's just a cool i can see if i can find a picture of of what it looks like and i can throw it up on the on the website or on the facebook
0: and just as an an aside when i play crusader kings 3 one of the first things i always do is conquer gotland Just because of its location, it just expands your reach so much. But anyway, this was not the end of organized piracy in the Baltic. Remnants of the Victual Brothers set up shop in Friesland in modern-day Netherlands and took the name Likedalers, meaning equal sharers. They shared their plunder with the poor local population, gaining their allegiance. While not as devastating to Hanseatic trades as the Victual Brothers, the Likedalers were still a threat and managed to expand their operations into the North Sea and along the Atlantic coast, they sacked the city of Brabant, they raided France, and they even made their way to the Iberian coastline, which is quite impressive. Yeah. No data captain is more famous than Klaus Sturtebeker, whose last name means to down an entire mug. Originally, one of the Victor brothers, Sturtebaker, became one of the leading figures of the Leake dealers. However, in 1401, a Hanseatic fleet under the command of Simon of Utrecht caught up with Sturtebaker near the Frisian archipelago of Helgoland. Now, this, I love this name. Simon of Utrecht, he led from the flagship called Die Bunte Kuh, which means the painted cow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I love, like. Go the fleet included a ship called the Adler von Lübeck the eagle of Lübeck but no no yeah. the flagship was the painted cow <laughs> it's yeah. just i love i love that name and it's actually yeah. if i recall correctly it's a name of a neighborhood in in lübeck now oh okay yeah that's cool well yeah, you you got kind of, to like when it comes
1: to to ships names you have uh you you get everything from all kinds of settings like um uh, Pinta, one of of uh, Christopher Columbus' ships that is sailed to uh, uh, to the west with, I, I if I'm not mistaken, that means pineapple or something like that, and, and you have <laughs> La, La Nina means the the, uh, the small girl. So you have yeah. this uh, in uh, in the 1800s. The for for some reason the uh, the British Navy really liked uh, l- like they they had ships called like HMS Terror. Yeah uh, and and that was an exploration ship uh, that went up and got stuck in the uh, in the ice north of Canada I think and I'm not sure that I would like to go sailing on a ship called The Terror like who is the terror for is it for me is it for my enemies so yeah when it comes to naming ship there are quite a few Uh, interesting ones and yeah The
0: Painted Cow I have to remember that one I think my favorite ship name this is from fiction specifically science fiction but my favorite ship name comes from the writings of uh, Ian M. Banks in his in his science fiction where he has a ship that's called ultimate ship the second <laughs> yeah yeah <exactly. laughs> which is like well if it's the ultimate ship why is it the second anyway Yeah. leading from the painted cow uh, Simon of Utrecht destroyed the Liga dealer fleet and captured Störtebäcker after a three day running battle Störtebäcker along with the other surviving crew and captains were taken to Hamburg to be executed for piracy and now we have just an awesome legend legend says that Störtebäcker offered a chain of gold long enough to enclose the whole city of Hamburg in exchange for his life and freedom, an offer that was refused by the city. However, the most famous legend of Sturtebäger is that he, Sturtebäger, is said to have asked the mayor of Hamburg to release as many of his companions as he could walk past after being beheaded. Following the granting of this request and the subsequent beheading, Sturtebäger's body arose and walked past 11 of his men before the executioner tripped him with an outstretched foot. Nonetheless, the 11 men were executed along with the others. The Senate of Hamburg asked the executioner if he was not tired after all of this, but he replied that he could easily execute the whole of the Senate as well, and for this he himself was sentenced to death and executed by the youngest member of the Hamburg Senate. I love this story. It is yeah. amazing. I I wonder
1: I wonder if the youngest member of that senate was like, well, I I'm supposed to do what now? I'm <laughs> I'm a politician. I signed up for no. Well, okay, yeah, that's <laughs> add some draconic laws actually. But but yeah, it's but I I think in in a way the executioner kind of got what he deserved since he he broke his promise or broke the promise and um, yeah, I can and, and, just.
0: And I, I can imagine that this could be an interesting thing to introduce in a World of Dark Ages, a uh, World of Darkness, Dark Ages game, like his body getting up and walking like what happened here yeah, so exactly, but it's just yeah, a, a, we f- a we have fun supernatural story supernatural things to play with yeah. that could be anything
1: yeah that, that could be like i don't know a la sombra using obtenebraion to to control him like a puppet or or anything yeah it, it's of course it is a legend in uh, in the real world and i've heard people trying to explain it as that well he was uh, he was beheaded while he was standing up and his body Stumble yeah. forwards, kind of like a beheaded chicken. is like, no, nah, I, I don't. That's that's not how things work. Uh, <laughs> no. But in the world of darkness, when when you have, uh, yeah, literally almost not well, not almost, but you have a lot of magics and stuff. So so it, it in in my world of darkness, I'm gonna decide it right here and right now. That's that's what really happened. How it happened? Well, you're gonna ask. Uh,
0: have to ask the Nosferatu. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah. So although the Hanseatic League dominates trades, trade in northern Europe at this point, they are beginning to feel the pressure of especially Italian merchants. And in 1412, it is decided by the Hansetag in Lünenburg that Italians are barred from operating as bankers or merchants in Hansa towns. However, due to the money that can be made from dealing with Italians, this rule is poorly enforced. It's, um, yeah... Not a lot of places actually do it because money talks.
1: Yeah, it is. And I I would imagine that the, there are probably some easy ways around it, like hiring a Jewish moneylender that technically works for for the Italians, but since they're a Jew, then, then he's not technically an Italian either. So... Uh, yeah. you could, you could probably circumvent it like that J- no just problem. have to mention about Sturtebecker, though he he gave uh, his name to at least one kind of beer afterwards so you can you can buy oh. Sturtebecker beer here here and there uh, so and, and it it has a picture of or the one uh, that i've had had a picture of uh, of a ship um, on the label on on the bottle so
0: I don't think it was the painted cowder I think it was uh,
1: Klaus's ship so
0: oh I can't remember what his ship was called Anyway, did you drink that beer uh, an entire mug in one go then? No I, I didn't uh, I, I had I, or I, I've
1: had other beers in just one draft but I I wanted to see what it
0: tasted like so, <laughs> uh, and, and you, you don't really get the full experience if you just quaff it. No. So towards the end of the 15th century, the Hanse is forced to import Italian-style credit methods and double-entry bookkeeping in order to have a chance to keep up with the economy of the Italian city-states. In 1418, the power structure of the Hanseatic League changes as Lübeck, known as the Queen of the Hanse, officially acknowledges the Hanse-Tag as the head of the Hanse. So until then, it had sort of been Lübeck dominating it, but now it was this annual meeting that decided hanser politics this happens at a Tag held in lübeck 35 towns are represented and there are representatives from the holy german emperor the teutonic knights and the archbishop of bremen while the dukes of schleswig and mecklenburg attend in person so this shows just how powerful the league has become however with the Hanseatic league at the senate there really is only one way to go
1: yeah, yeah, I can. J- just to clarify, though, just uh, when when we're talking about the the Hanset Tag, we're we're talking about it in the same way that we're talking about a, a Reichstag, right? That yeah. it's 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 not just a day where where people meet and gather. It's probably multiple days, and oh yeah, and it's it's actually the governing body of that organization in this case. So so Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's that's cool. So trouble begins the same year as the Steelyard in London complains that it's being charged local taxes for which it's supposed to be exempt. The following year the mayor of London refuses to appoint an alderman for the steelyard, something that explicitly goes against the Steelyard's charter. And in 1422 all Hanseatic merchants of the Novgorod contour are thrown in prison Thirty-six of them eventually die in prison. In t- 1426, several Hanseatic cities, li- led by Lübeck, declares war on Denmark, and thus the Kalmar Union. The reason is the opening of the sound to Dutch merchants and the addition of new sound tolls. With Queen Margrethe dead, the Union is now led by her nephew and adopted son, Eric of Pomerania. Well, that's his Danish name. His actual name was Bugislav, but... Yeah. Danes thought that sounded too weird. So he was named Erik, or Erik. Uh, since Norway is part of the Kalmar Union, the Hanseatic League is forced to vacate their contour in Bern. The war goes on inconclusively for several years, and in 1430, Rostock and Stralsund signed separate peace treaties with Denmark, Lübeck, Hamburg, Wismar, and Lüneburg continue the war, but agree to an armistice in 1432, and in 1435, a peace treaty is signed in Vordingborg that exempts the Hanse from sound tolls, though they must accept that Dutch merchants can pass through. This, along with England finally appointing an alderman for the steelyard in 1426, seems like a reversal of fortune, and in fourteen thirty, the Hunter is able to establish fines for cities that do not send delegates to Hunter Tag meetings. And in fourteen thirty three the Hunter Tag privileges in England are extended, and in fourteen thirty seven the disagreement between the English and the League are finally resolved so You know, you you have this situation where it it goes up and down, but but it it could go either way. But in 1438, war breaks out between the Netherlands and the Hanseatic League (laughs) over Dutch access to the Baltic. They really don't want the Dutch in the Baltic. Yeah, yeah. And this ends with the Peace Treaty of Copenhagen in 1441, where the League is forced, once again, to accept unlimited Dutch access to the Baltic. And the Baltic at this point is one of the primary sources of revenue for the league so having the dutch merchants go in there and now like the dutch the uh, holland is getting to the point where they become rather powerful, so it's a real blow for them. And in addition, the troubles with England return, and in 1449 50 Hanseatic ships are seized in the English Channel. As a response all English-owned goods in the towns are confiscated, and in 1452 the city of Berlin becomes the first major city to leave the Hanseatic League, rather than just be expelled. And in 1457 the Tag is forced to fine no less than 30 towns for not sending delegates to the meeting. In 1458, the English once again capture a large number of Hanseatic ships. And the following year, the city of Riga stops all foreigners, which include Hanseatic merchants, from trading directly with other foreigners within the territory of Riga. So mm. it's it's starting to look a bit problematic at, at this point. It's sort of a a time where, uh, where you can see cracks in the foundation, so to speak yeah
1: yeah it's well everything that goes up has to come down sooner or later but but yeah but it's it's still interesting to uh, to see just well they're starting to lose their influence but they're still they 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 still affect like the world politics and and everything yeah. like that and and they still have to be reckoned with like if if you're a dutch merchant or or if you're um I I would assume the uh, the Dutch government you can't just you you have to uh, figure in how the league affects your plans when you want to do something. So it's it's still rather interesting that they have so much at least indirect influence on on uh, politics and everything like that.
0: Yeah, towards the end of the fifteenth century, it still looks like the Hanseatic League is going to be like this huge power factor in Europe especially northern Europe around and around the Baltic but as i think everybody knows in 1492 something happens that radically changes everything but yeah. things begin to look up slightly in 1461 when hanseatic privileges are extended in england and in 1464 the first printing press is established in the city of cologne so we know when when printing presses came to this uh, this area came to uh, to the hanseatic league and also in 1464, the League the league receives a charter to trade throughout France, although on the condition that they do not trade with England, which, <laughs> given England and France's relationship, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. How, how was the League's uh,
1: relationships with, with France, by the way? Because we haven't really talked about them. Well, they
0: though. did. Up until this point, the only relationship they had with France was when Flanders was part of France, because... Up until this point, France was too far south for them. Their focus was oh, on yeah. the North Sea, the Low Countries, the Baltics, and England. So, this is probably a situation where they said, okay, things are going a bit bad in England, maybe try to expand into France. And then France goes, yeah, if you want to trade with us, you can't trade with England. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's that's a very good point to make. That it's uh, because during the the thirteen hundreds, you have a lot of like northern France actually being a part of of England. So you, yeah, we, you have to remember that as well. That's that. Yeah, French geography
0: was different back then as well. <laughs> in fourteen sixty eight, Denmark seizes an English fleet in the Sound, and despite the Danish taking full responsibility, the English blame the Hanseatic League. So the English confiscate Hanseatic goods and restrict trades with the lead, league, leading to a war that lasts until. 1473 so now the league has gone to war with england Mm. cologne opposes the war and is temporarily suspended from the hanseatic league but they were able to continue trade with england the city is readmitted to the hanse in 1467 after paying heavy fines the league actually comes out ahead of the war they're victorious and they're granted full ownership of the steel yards as well as the right to set up a contour in boston english boston yeah
1: yeah I'm, i'm i'm just thinking because like the late 1460s and early 1470s, you, you still have kind of the War of the Roses going on a bit. And, and I'm, I'm wondering because like if if, if you're a, a, a crown state, like a, a country ruled by a king and you yeah. don't have any money, there are always two sources of income that, that you can rely on. Uh, and and none of those are are the peasantry because you probably already taxed them quite hard and you <laughs> yeah. you don't want to piss them off. So so you have the church uh, that you can always take from uh, and and that and and then you have the merchants. So I'm I'm thinking that the whole. Uh, when when Denmark takes the the ships uh, and, and the, the English are like no it we, we're sure that it was the Hanseatic League and, <laughs> League and the Danse- no, it ain't no it was it was literally us no 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 we're gonna take them I, I think it might have some economical reasons behind that because they I don't know need more archers for Towton or something
0: yeah exactly so in 1494. Ivan III orders the Contour in Novgorod closed. However, an even bigger blow was struck against the power of the Hanseatic League two years earlier. Although not apparent for decades to come, Christopher Columbus's rediscovery of a sea route to the Americas is the beginning of the end for the Hanseatic League. The League's power, influence, and wealth comes from the Baltic, North Sea, and English trade, as well as overland trade in Northern and Central Europe, especially along the rivers. In the centuries to come, this will be completely overshadowed by the transatlantic trade, which the predominantly German cities of the league are ill-suited to exploit. So, in 1517, Martin Luther posts his 95 theses. The Hanse is initially hostile against Lutheranism, and in 1525, the Hansetag in Lübeck actually draws up instructions for Hanse towns to pass measures against supporters of Luther, ah. though only Hamburg-Rostock and Lüdenburg actually act on those instructions. Eventually, most Hanseatic cities being located in northern Germany becomes Protestants. In mm. 1518, four cities withdraw from the Hanse, including Brandenburg, which is uh, quite a powerful city, further weakening the League. Another blow struck against the Hanse in 1544, when the joint Kingdom of Denmark-Norway makes peace with the Holy Roman Empire and turns its eye on limiting Hanseatic power in Bern At the mm. same time, the League faced pressure from uh, South German, English and Dutch merchants as well as Italians. So in order to centralise power, the Hanseatic League elected a syndic or managing director in 1556 and in 1557 they draw up a constitution for the League. So they try to centralise because at this point people are beginning to realise what is needed is centralised power. This is where you really see city-states beginning also to centralise. Yeah. yeah. Kind of becoming what we would recognize today as city states, and in the case of the Hanseatic League, becoming what we would recognize today as a corporation rather than an an alliance between, in the case of countries, yeah, yeah. noblemen, and in the case of the Hanseatic League cities. So this is really the time of centralization.
1: And and it's it's interesting that that when it came to uh, to Martin Luther, the uh, now the the league has had its its fingers in in trade in politics international politics warfare and now finally religion so it like they they've they've done a bit of everything which I, I think is quite interesting that that they had again that just that kind of influence and and reach and just being able to because like in in any modern society if like I don't know if if Apple said to to their companies that yeah, from now on uh, no one is allowed to be catholic at workplace or or whatever then it's no one would care about that or or they would but but they wouldn't adhere to it you you would have like lawsuits and stuff like that but apparently at least a few cities back then actually listened to to the religious uh, uh, rules that that the league put out so uh, yeah it's they they could basically do whatever they wanted if if or they at least they tried to. Am I am I correct?
0: Yeah, exactly. So unfortunately, none of the syndics have the strength and leadership skill necessary to unite the Hanse and suppress the ambitions of individual cities. The League continues to lose territory and power. For example, in 1558, Russians under Ivan IV capture Narva and Dorpat and occupy Riga. While in 1559, the rights of German artisans are severely restricted in Bärn. And in 1565, Sweden seizes low less than 32 Lübeck ships. Lübeck retaliates in 1569 by attacking the Swedish-controlled city of Revel and capturing 100 ships. And then in 1563, Bremen is yet again excluded from the Hansen, this <laughs> time for being Calvinists. Um, uh, they, they've, they, they've been in and out for a, for a number of times, but this time it's religious. <laughs> yeah, it's j- just
1: a small note. I think it's quite interesting in telling that when there is basically a war going on between uh, the League and, and Sweden, like in the last example... They're not interested in capturing territory, like capturing the city of Reval. They just want the ships, because
0: that's yep. where the money's at. Exactly. So in 1525, King the I of Denmark gives the island of Bornholm to Lübeck. You know, Bornholm, not as well located as Scotland, but still quite uh, a good location, mm. uh, and he gives them to them for 50 years as security for a loan and in recognition of the city's help in his struggles against his father Christian II. The island's location in the Western Baltic made it extremely valuable, so Lübeck invests heavily in infrastructure, including repairing and extending extending the fortress of Hamashus and building roads. The local population did not appreciate this and rebelled in 1535, but the rebellion was defeated. Lübeck was banking on the Danish crown, not being able to repay the loan and thus uh, retaining possession of the island and reaping the benefits. However, in uh, 1576, the king repays the loan and takes over a vastly improved Bornholm, which is just, (laughs) it must have sucked for Lübeck. They sank so much money into it and they didn't actually manage to turn a profit.
1: Yeah, well, again, it it shows that controlling territory is, is really expensive because... Basically, the the same thing happened to the Teutonic Order when they were controlling uh, the island of Gotland because they they had to pay a lot just to uh, for for the knights and the soldiers who were fighting the um, who were fighting the pirates and and since they didn't really get an income from all of the trade like the merchants did they they left because it wasn't profitable to them uh, so. I and, and you see that again with um, with Bornholm that the league has to um, build all the infrastructure and stuff like that that costs money, and, and and you didn't get any pay any any return of investment on it so yeah it it ruling
0: land and territory is, is kind of it it can suck sometimes. Yeah exactly. So in 1598 Elizabeth the first closes the London steelyard possibly in response to laws against English merchants in Germany. And around the same time the League just loses more members, more cities and towns, leave it. In 1616, the Hanse allies with the uh, Dutch United Provinces in a war against Denmark, but when Spain and Holland goes to war in 1621, the League allies with Spain. And now we come to 1618, the Thirty Years' War, breaking out in Germany, pitting Protestants against Catholics in the most devastating war europe has ever seen up to this point and yes that includes the hundred years war you have a 30-year war that is much more devastating and destructive than than the hundred years war yeah modern warfare is a bitch yeah when peace is signed in 1648 as much as one third of germany's population has died with estimates ranging between 4.5 and 8 million dead Mm. due to violence disease and starvation Though the Hanseatic League tries to remain neutral, the devastation and death within the heartland of the league obviously affects it. This becomes evidence in 1629, when the Hansetag asks the cities of Bremen, Hamburg and Lübeck to more or less just run the Hanseatic League. However, the reality is that this results in a closer alliance between those three cities, which more or less supplants the ailing league. The next year, 1630, a 10-year mutual defense treaty is signed between those cities, excluding the rest of Of the Hanseatic cities, so yeah, yeah. things are things are going bad. In 1658, at the Treaty of Roskilde, the second Northern War between Denmark, Norway, and their allies, and Sweden and their allies, comes to an end, and the province of Scania is finally and irrevocably giving over to Sweden. This means. The end of Danish dominance in the sound, and as such, well, uh, the not end- for a lack of trying. <laughs> no, trying to no, 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 not, not back for a lack of for, trying. For quite some time. <laughs> but this is the end of the hated sound tolls. However, for the Hanseatic League, this is too little, too late, as they no longer dominate the trade. On yeah. the other hand, uh, after this treaty, Denmark and Sweden did never go to uh, war again, right? Yeah, ex- <laughs>
1: well, except for the few times Denmark tried to to take uh, Skåne back, and then there was the other times, and then it was the time when you uh, joined forces with Russia, and then Gosh. technically at some point I think we were at war with each other during the Napoleon or one of the Napoleonic wars, and, and then we ended up on the same side in one of the other Napoleon Napoleonic wars, and so on and so forth. But uh, yeah, it it kind of depends. On on what you mean by uh,
0: by never again, but yeah, th- <laughs> at least for a while, Denmark and
1: Sweden were at peace.
0: Yeah, we um we are basically the kind of siblings who will constantly squabble and get into fights. But if anybody from the outside tries to uh, to interfere, we can. Uh we we can we can ally yeah. uh, at least at least in modern times. Yeah. So the last ever Hansetag is held in Lübeck in 1669 with only nine delegates attending. This meeting officially disbands the Hanse. More than 400 years after the first alliance between Hamburg and. Lübeck. Considering the wealth, power, influence, and size of the Hanseatic League in its prime, it has left surprisingly little in the way of a modern legacy. The steel yard in London burned down in the Great Fire of 1666 and was never rebuilt. The land and buildings remained the property of the Hanseatic League and were subsequently rented as warehouses to merchants. In 1852, the cities of Lübeck, Bremen, and Hamburg sold the steel yard to the Southeastern Railway and Cannon Street Station was built on the site and opened in 1866. Bern has a Hanseatic museum detailing the city's Hanseatic history, located in the restored Brücken, a series of Hanseatic commercial buildings. In Germany itself, the cities of Lübeck, Bremen, and Hamburg still refer to themselves as Hanseatic cities. Hamburg and Bremen are also their own federal German states, the Free Hanseatic City of Bremen and the mm. Free and Hanseatic City of Hamburg. And there's also a, a an interesting little side note you wanted to mention there.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's like you mentioned uh, that it's it's this huge entity that went on for for four hundred more than four hundred years and and was still basically doing things in the 1850s. Like they they since this st- that's when they sold the uh, the steel yard. Uh, but one of the like most obvious. Um, not not memories, but the kind of traces of it is that in if you look at uh, German number plates on their cars, uh, they they are geographically connected. So so if uh, so the the first or the the letters in it uh, denotes which kind of city or if it's province uh, or both, I think uh, denotes it. So B is for Berlin, obviously. Uh, but some of, uh, if, it's, if you, you have a car from Lübeck, it's not L, it's HL, because the H stands for Hansestadt Lübeck, and you have a bunch of other cities. So if, if you're ever in Germany and you see a, a car with a license plate that starts with, with L, L, H something, then it's, uh, you, you know that it's, it's the Hanseatic League that has uh, set down the seeds that are, are still blossoming in a way.
0: Yeah. Since 1980, the Hanseatic League of New Time was established and the Hanseatic Days of New Time, an annual international festival of member cities, has been held in different cities each year. Uh, This festival highlights the history, culture and economical progress of its member cities the flag carrier and largest airline in Germany which is the second largest airline in Europe in terms of passengers carried is named Lufthansa yeah. or Air Hansa mm. and was formed in 1955 obviously taking its name from the Hanseatic League in 1977 the seasonal amusement park Hansa Park opened in Cirksdorf near Lübeck it is divided into various themed areas including Hansa Garden and the Hanseatic League in Europe and if you are around my age and you and you lived in uh, southern Jutland. Then there was very much a tradition for when you had your confirmation around the age of thirteen, fourteen years old. For the Monday after your confirmation, taking a trip to this Hansa Park and this amusement park and uh, experiencing that, I, I remember that vividly. It was uh, oh, it was quite cool, fun. Yeah. So in 2015, the European Hanse Museum opened in the Castle Friary site, a former Dominican monastery from the 13th century in the old town district of Lübeck. Detailing the history of the Hanseatic League and trade in northern Germany, the museum is absolutely gorgeous and well worth a visit, should you ever find yourself in, in Lübeck. It also has a very, very nice restaurant. And don't worry if you don't speak German, because there is both audio guides and signage in English, I think Polish, and then Swedish. Oh, cool. Yep. That's, yeah, if if I ever in Lübeck, I'm, I'm gonna definitely check that out. That's, that's cool. Yeah. So that was the Hanseatic League. It gets its start right at the time where the 20th anniversary edition of Vampire the Dark Ages is set. And the reason I have all this research is because I've always wanted to run a Hanseatic-focused campaign. I think starting out with Neonets at the time when the Hamburg-Lübeck alliance is formed and then charting the course of both the rise and the fall of the Hanseatic League with players playing characters who are heavily invested in the league, I think that could be a really, really cool yeah, vampire it, campaign. Yeah, it sounds,
1: it, it sounds like a really cool idea. And, and I was actually surprised because... I I thought the the league disappeared sometimes in in the fifteen hundreds and the the fact that they even though barely but they still managed to survive the Thirty Years War uh, was is it's rather amazing actually that they managed like there are countries that hasn't been around for as long as. As the Hanseatic League has their like you have you have nations rising and falling, like the Crusader states didn't last yeah. for that long, and they were actual countries. So so yeah, it's it's really cool. And and I'm thinking just to expand on on the uh, campaign idea that you can it, like if you want to have a sequel to that, you can always have someone who's like a really staunch believer in, in the idea of, of this kind of Merchant league uh, or or corporation, uh, they went on like when when they finally had to admit that that uh, perhaps they're one of the nine uh, there in in the sixteen hundreds that <laughs> that they finally have to admit that that okay the, the Hanseatic League is no more but what can we do well we can start a fur trading company in the North Americas or and later on we can start an East India company perhaps and 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 stuff like that so you can you have the basically the same idea going throughout history and and having the one guy that's like, this time it's definitely going to work forever.
0: It, I, I think that could be a, a really interesting game. Yeah, I think the idea of transitioning to an East India company, because they were rising just at uh, at the time where the league was falling. Like the British East, mm. East India company was established in the year 1600, the Dutch in 1602, the Danish in 1616. So you have the countries surrounding the hanseatic heartland are setting up these and yeah like you said it could be really cool for someone to go hang on our league is is basically dead why don't we jump ship more or less literally yeah. Yeah. to the british or the dutch or the danish and uh, and and go on with them so uh, I've considered maybe writing it as a, as a book for, for the storyteller's vault, maybe just running it for my own people. But I hope that this has been an inspiration to our listeners, that they can use that in their game or if you're doing, say, fantasy gaming. Obviously, I think the Hanseatic oh, yeah. League is a good inspiration for a merchant entity in your in your fancy yeah, world. I mean,
1: yeah, like if, if you really want to have like the, the the merchant guild, they're just they're just gonna be called the guild because yeah, in ex- the same way that, that the Hanse is is like a league, it's it's gonna be the guild and they have their shops all over the place. And actually yeah. it's funny
0: that you mentioned that because I was just about to say exalted. The exalted setting has Ooh. an organization called the guild which yeah. is uh, and and it just feels very hanseatic so so like you said yeah they will be called the guild but it's i think this has so much potential yeah so i i hope people found it interesting if you happen to be from one of the hanseatic cities and have more interesting facts and knowledge about this it would be kind of fun to uh to hear because as i said if i'm if i want to to turn this into a campaign obviously it would be be nice to have as much information as possible but i think this is about the end of this side quest so peter do you have uh, any last comments before we sign off no i well i'm, I'm just starting to think of like story
1: seeds and and things like did did they have their own guild halls that might still be around or anything like, yes. like if you could find old ruins yeah it, it would be <laughs> really cool but but yeah no it was it was a really interesting episode and I I actually learned quite a lot and there were a lot of things that I hadn't thought about and and just the way again that how how money and commerce influences or at least tries to and wants to influence basically everything else in society from from like uh, <laughs> the, the herring trade to religion it's it's quite <laughs> interesting and and quite all encompassing. So yeah, thank you
0: for an educational side quest. Yes, well, you are welcome. And when you are at Visby on Gotland, then if you find any interesting Hanseatic relics or buildings or anything, then take some pictures and send it to me because I'm always interested in learning about, more about the league. Yeah,
1: I'll, I think there's a a old stone warehouse that was that might have been used at least at some point by by Hanseatic uh, merchants.
0: I'll I will send some pictures and check it out. All right, but until next time. I will say thank you so much for listening, and farewell, and see you in a while. Bye!